You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. Good morning, church. Like uh, Danny said earlier, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. We are in week four, our final week of this At The Movies series where we dive in to see some of the truths, quote-unquote truths, that the world is teaching so that we can then look back at the Scripture, the real truth, and say, well, what, how does this balance? Uh, if you think back to the way Jesus uh, taught and the way Jesus walked around with people, when He would go to teach them something true, He would use something normative in their day or something that they were very familiar with to try to teach them this theological truth. And that's the same thing that we're doing in this At The Movies series. And this movie specifically is called Ant-Man Quantumanium. If you haven't seen it, I believe you can stream it on Disney Plus uh, and maybe even on Netflix right now, I believe. But uh, it's really, a, it's the part two, or maybe even, I guess it's part three uh, of the Ant-Man series, the Marvel kind of world universe. If you're not into superheroes, then I wouldn't watch that movie. But uh, it, it's really, at its core, it's really a movie about family. There's a lot of other plot lines and twists, and there's a lot of things that are happening inside of this film, but in so many ways what happens is there's this curious teenager-esque person who wants to learn more about the quantum realm, and so she uh, uses all of the intellect that she has to figure out how to get to this place or communicate down to this place to learn more about it, and somehow she gets sucked into it like, honey, we shrunk the kids kind of style, and uh, because she gets sucked into it, her father then goes after her as well, and really, scene after scene in the movie, you, what you see is you see family members sacrificing for family member. You also see some discord, and you see some brokenness in families like we all have, but at the end of the day, I think the biggest thing that the movie teaches is the importance of family. And so as I was watching and preparing today, I wanted to ask us this question. How does the family of God express itself? How does the family of God express itself? Because we, have, we certainly have understandings of how our own families, right, dynamics work and how, uh, well, don't talk to this crazy uncle, or if you do, make sure you don't bring up politics because that's, you know, that's going to go down this road. If, if these things happen in our house, then our kids are, you know, they're going to have something to pay for. If this happens here, we've got those inner family dynamics that we kind of know how that work because we live in them each and every day. But what about the family of God? How, how do we live with each other? What attributes of our family can be experienced? What attributes of our family can be witnessed? What is the purpose of this idea of the family of God? And maybe even a deeper question, have you ever felt like your faith, your relationship with Jesus actually brought you to something that you would ever consider to be a family. Because I think if we're honest, there's probably been moments in our walk where, yeah, we went to church and maybe we got plugged into a group or we served or we went through those motions, but if we ever said, if we ever had to answer the question, did that actually feel like family, some of us, maybe a lot of us would go, no. It felt like a country club. It felt like something maybe we went to. It felt like this, this thing that we were a part of. 
But when everything hit the fan in my life, when life got hard, when things broke, the first people I called, maybe they happened to be a part of the family of God because they were my friends, but we didn't go to church together. Maybe they happened to be part of the family of God because we were actually like blood family, but it wasn't about necessarily the church connection. It was much more about blood being thicker than water, so to speak. And I think if you look over Scripture, there's a much deeper picture of what the family of God is supposed to be. I mean, there's moments where people are coming to Jesus and they're saying, hey, let me follow you. And he looks back at them and he says hard truths. And he says things like, yeah, okay, cool. Let the dead bury their dead when a guy approaches him and says, my father just passed. That's a hard truth. I mean, think about a family member in your life having passed away and you walk up to the Messiah who you say, I want to give my life to you. And he says, yeah, okay, cool. Don't worry about putting that person in the ground. Or he says things like, you'll have to hate your father and mother to come follow me. And you're going, what in the world? And we could go through all of those texts and break down the specific meanings of what he is meaning in those situations, but I think there's a greater thing here that he is pushing. And the, the idea is that the family of God is one of the first identities that we ever find in Christ. You've probably heard me say that you were saved from sin, but you were saved for people. That's why when somebody comes to him and they're trying to challenge Jesus, What's the greatest commandment? He says, Love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he said, The second of these is what? To love your neighbor as yourself. To love people. So just as important as it is to love God, there's this other connection. This thing about loving each other. And I don't know if you've experienced this or not, but sometimes loving each other is kind of hard. Right? Like, people are difficult. And if you think that people aren't difficult, it's because you're the difficult one right? Like people can just be challenging. In our best days, we get on somebody else's nerves. In our best days, somebody else dislikes us because we sat too long at the red light turning to green, and they're sitting here wondering, are you paying attention, right? I mean, on our best days, somebody doesn't like us, for whatever reason, and yet we were brought into this family as Christians, and what Jesus teaches over and over again is that we are supposed to support and love each other as family. And it gets even more difficult because what happens if our only picture of family is the one that maybe we were raised in, or the lack thereof, and all we saw was brokenness? All we saw was dysfunction. We never knew a father or a mother that loved. And what we did was we, we created a picture of, well, here's what we think love is because this is the best experience that I've ever had of it. How do we then get rid of that baggage, come together as the family of God, and be brothers and sisters in Christ and love each other? Paul is getting to this in Ephesians chapter 1. So what I want to walk through is just some, not most, not even you know, a fraction, but just some of the attributes and the expressions of what it means to be a family in Christ. So Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Let's read it one more time. Blessed 
be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. What has He given us? In Christ. We've, got, we've, we've received this blessing in Christ. And He says this, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What have we received? We've received these spiritual blessings. You could look at these spiritual blessings in a, a different terminology, a different language. You could say these are family benefits. These are the things that we are afforded because we are now in Christ. We've been adopted, Ephesians 1.4, if you'll read the next verse. He says we've been given these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him not in you, not because of you, but in Christ. He chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. See, what he's getting to right here, what Paul is wanting you and I to, to fully see and to, to understand and to gravitate towards is that you are no longer a spiritual orphan. But now... In Christ, you have a family. See, there was this moment before where you were dead in your trespasses and you were alone in the world, in the universe, in, in all of it. You were alone. But yet, in Christ, when you were made aware of the gospel and you became this new creation because you repented and believed, you were then brought together with other people and you've been given this family. Jesus says it like this, speaking to a group of his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit and his departure. In John 14, 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Think about this, this word, chosen. Think, think about the, the feelings that come with being chosen. Can you think of a time when you were chosen for something? I mean, specifically, try to grab a memory and think of a time when you were chosen. Think about the emotions that came with being chosen. How did it make you feel? Maybe you received a scholarship. Maybe it was a, a job opportunity. Maybe you were on The Bachelor and you received a rose, right? Whatever it was in your life, there's probably been a moment when you've been chosen. And I can only speak from personal experience, but I think yours is going to be similar. When we are chosen, it feels really good. I can think of two stories recently that happened in my life. So one, this guy walks in, we're hanging out, and he starts telling me and a couple others about how he won something in like one of those, I don't know, $20 raffle deals or whatever. And he is just gushing because he's going on, I've never won anything. I've never been chosen to receive anything. And he goes, I mean, literally, 20 minutes he's talking to me about how he put some money in, and now he put 20 bucks in, and now I got this $1,500 gift, and how just amazed he is. It's little things in life for people, right? That makes him feel really good. Or there's another moment where, where I'm, I'm with some campers, and uh, one of the leaders, uh, all week we had been doing some, some competition games because I like competition, and if you're not first, you're last, and so we're going to make them work. There ain't no such thing as no scores and upwards great for somebody else, but we're going to have losers in games, right? And so here's the deal. We're choosing teams 
for all week. Now, mid, midweek, we start realizing there's a couple of really good outliers, right? And there's a couple of really bad outliers, if, if you're catching my drift. And so what we do is we, we decide to tell the team captains, hey, we want you to choose the opposite way you normally would. Meaning, instead of choosing the best players on the teams first, we want you to choose the worst, right? And they, they fought for just a second. And we said, no, this isn't really a question. It's not an option. You're doing it, right? And there was one kid in, speci- in, in specific fashion. They're choosing the teams, and this kid had been chosen first all week. And all of a sudden, the first pick comes, and somebody else is chosen, and the kid goes, what? <laughs> what are we talking about here? And as every pick went down the line, this kid get, kept getting more and more frustrated. At one point, he's like, what is going on? Literally. Like, he's, what are they doing? Why am I last? Why am I the last one chosen? And here's how hard it hurts to not be chosen early. We did the same thing day two, and he was still squalled up, right? It feels good to be chosen. It doesn't feel so great to be chosen last or to not be picked at all, but it feels really good to be chosen. Now, I want you to try to magnify that emotion, that feeling of being chosen, and think about the creator of the world saying, Kevin, I choose you. Morgan, I choose you. Christy, I choose you. Not because you're amazing. You are amazing, all of you, right? But if we're honest, we're all sinful, we're all broken, we're all faulty, we've all rebelled against him. And he says, I choose you in the foundation of the world before all things, even though I know you're going to scoff at me, you're going to do the things that I don't want you to do, I choose you. And that is where Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is pointing us to. That in all of your brokenness, all of your frailty, God chooses you. And this should teach us something about family. See, families should make others feel welcome because God makes us feel welcome. Right? Like, God has chosen you. And I don't know if you think about this or not, but you are broken And you are just as much in despair before him as anybody else in this world, right? Like one in one sin, except for Jesus, obviously. And all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. It didn't say, well, some of us fell further, right? I I didn't read. I don't know what hesitations book you read that in, but I didn't read that. All of us have fallen. And so when God looks at us and says, I chose you, and he makes you feel comforted and welcomed. What he's teaching us that in the family of God, we should make others feel welcome. Think about our, our gatherings as churches. We have a host team. It, it consists of people in the hospitality team, meaning they're making coffee, they're getting donuts, sometimes they're popping popcorn at, you know, because the pastor wants to do an at the movie series, and you know, that's how we roll. We have connection teams, first-time guest people who are standing out there going, hey, if this is your first time at our church, here's kind of who we are. Here's ways to get connected. Let us get to know you. We have ushers who are holding doors open. And all of those jobs exist to create this atmosphere where people feel welcomed. And I take it a step further. 
We've said it time and time and time again. Just because you're not serving doesn't mean you shouldn't make pe people feel welcome, right? Serving is just the opportunity. Officially, we put a lanyard on and do some of those things. But all of us in the, the family of God had called to make people feel welcome. When, the, when somebody comes to your house, Lord willing, you make them feel welcome, right? If you just kind of open up and go, hey, make yourself at home, and then go sit down and watch, watch the couch. You don't offer them a drink. You don't even tell them where the cups are. You go to serve dinner. You're like, all right, come and get it. You just slap the food on the plate, and you just walk away. They're never coming back, right? But there's this picture that God has given us of showing us how to be welcoming. We talk about community groups. Pastor Mateo just talked about that. Why do we have groups so that people can begin to establish relationships that are as deep, if not deeper, than family relationships? We want people to feel welcomed. One of our core values is striving for excellence. So when we, when we talk about this idea of excellence, what we're talking about is how can we, as the family of God, help people connect not only with him but with us because he has told us to love him and love others we are a family and one expression of who we are as a family is our love for people i was talking to the elders this past week and i just said hey spiritually assess where we are as an elder team where are we? Don't, let's not talk about finance numbers or butts in seats numbers or people serving. Let's not talk, spiritually assess. And every single one of them said, man, there is something different in the room right now when we gather. People want to be together. When we're in the lobbies, you know, you, you can always tell the kind of the health of a church when the last amen is said, if within five minutes everybody is gone, they don't really like each other. I mean, think about that. Five minutes, up, it's off to lunch. Holler at y'all next week, right? But churches that really like love each other and kind of do that familial thing really well, what you'll start to see is the staff has to like blink the lights up and down sometimes, right? It's like, it's been an hour and a half. Praise the Lord. Y'all can, can, can talk in the parking lot, right? Like there's, there's some of those moments but it's a great sign of familial health where we as a church love each other. You can go on and on. We're talking about in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a group interest meeting. If you are sitting there going, I don't know people in the church. I've got my family group, but not my like spiritual family group. And I want to know more people. Join us for that type of thing. But to be adopted as a family, and, and, uh, as a family member, makes us feel welcome. And that's one way we express family as Christ followers is that we help people feel welcome. That's what Paul in so many ways is pointing us to is that you have this spiritual blessing. You've been chosen by him and that is one of the first blessings that to be chosen. And since we've been chosen, we can help others see that God loves them and that they are to be chosen as well. Let's continue on verse five. It says, in love... He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. What we're seeing here is that the first spiritual blessing is our adoption, our chosenness, if you will. And then the second one is this 
glorious grace that the cho- being chosen happened through. I heard a pastor say one time, what is this glorious grace? I like hear his voice in my head like on repeat. What is this glorious grace? And here's the simple answer. It is the knowledge of the Gospel. I mentioned several weeks ago that we, we have a tendency to kind of diminish the Gospel to this box of simply salvation. But it is so much more than salvation. The Gospel is this thing, this, this good news that I function in every day. Now, does it begin with salvation? Yes. Here is the Gospel. That all of us are sinners separated from God. And that separation put us in a place of death. But Jesus then comes, lives a perfect life, dies on the cross, beats death, is resurrected three days later, and he says, anyone who comes to me will have eternal life. Boom, salvation, right? But then he goes on so many times, and the apostles go on so many times to speak about things more deeply than just salvation. He says what? You'll have abundant life. You'll have these spiritual blessings. And Paul goes on for many verses in this letter to the church in Ephesus about what spiritual blessings are. He talks about the fruits of the Spirit. He talks about all of these things that we'll have. He, he, he mentions all the attributes of a family. And what Paul is trying to get us inspired through the Holy Spirit to see is that this glorious grace, this, this character overwhelming thing that we see of God, of His glory expressed in the salvation through His Son is wow. That's what you need to gain. Is that every single day that you wake up, that is a picture of His glorious grace. Every time that a situation doesn't go the absolute worst broken thing that you could ever imagine, it is glorious grace. The fact that our world, Colossians 1, is being still held together and it's not just going to quote-unquote hell even though we feel like it is. It is a picture of of His grace every single day. You know, we're saying that we're going to see a victory. You know, I think sometimes we can talk about the hard things in life and we can go back to passages like Romans 8.28 and all things are worked out for His good, but we can question that, right? We, we can say, I mean, that's a hard thing and I haven't seen any good from it. And, and I think the temptation that Satan wants us to hold is there. But what God wants to see in this spiritual blessing is that whatever that broken thing was, whatever we think we saw, there is this picture, this million-foot picture of the God of the universe working all things out for His glory and our good. And so we rest in that. We trust in that. because Why? Because we trust in Him for everything. I trust in Him for my next breath, even though we may not think about it. What's making you breathe? Just cells and atoms? Science? I mean, that's what, that's what they would try to say, right? When we talked about that earlier, we can refute that all day. We talked about that two weeks ago. What's making you breathe, what's making everything work, is that the God of this universe has said work. And He is functioning and flowing through all things. And so our adoption, this in Christ we're chosen thing, has happened through the knowledge of the gospel that every single day 
is good news. That we can see Him. That we can have relationships restored. That we can see healings happen. That we can see the good news of God in the broken things of this world. That is living through the lens of the Gospel. I was speaking with someone, I think it was this week. Had a long week. Could have been last week. And we were just talking about the difficulties in life. And, and, I, and I just looked at him and said, look, I, I look at most things in our world through kind of this Ephesians 6 vein. It's the, the things that I see, but then there's those spiritual warfare things that I don't necessarily see first. And what I hope to do when I wake up is to pray that he will remove the scales from my eyes like he did Saul. And help me to see the spiritual battles ahead. Because that is the real warfare. Because the physical is almost like this manifestation of the spiritual. And I'm not trying to get all weird on you like the Matrix or something like that. But this physical will cease. But my spiritual will continue. And so not going into deep about the spirit and the soul and all that stuff, nod your head if you're tracking what I'm saying. So this understanding that the, the good news is not only that I've been saved from hell, but I've been saved for a purpose is what he tells us to walk in. And he tells us to do it as a family. I saw a picture on the internet earlier. It's a picture of a battleship and a cruise ship. And the person who posted it asked the question, which one best represents the church? Which one best represents the church? And, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, we may even need to ask the question a different way. Which one of these best represents the church to me? Because, you know, there's a, there's a true answer and then there's an answer of how we treat it. Let's think about this. You might say, what's the difference between these two boats? They both float. Yeah, they do. Hopefully. The cruise ship, it's really comfortable. Its purpose is to relax you. There's always somebody there to serve you. People are feeding you. There's rarely any conflict. And if there is... They try to give you an extra cookie to make you feel better, right? There's few difficulties outside of getting off and on the boat at times because you've got to carry your own luggage. I think most of us, if we're honest, we treat the church a lot like a cruise ship. We choose churches based on the amenities provided. We may serve in the church, but the, the moment that anything goes wrong in our life or outside of it, we're, we're kind of appalled when the cruise ship doesn't kind of come to our aid. And we're shocked. We have a pretty low grace tolerance, some of us, with the body, with the cruise ship. And it, and it really kind of sums up to this one idea. If our Christian walk, if our faith with Jesus resembles a cruise ship, it's that really our faith and 
our decision to walk with Jesus, it's really all about how I feel. That's one picture. The second one, the battleship. First, there's training involved, like constant. Like you don't just get on this thing and chill. There's deploying. There's missions involved. There's certainly preparation for those missions, but then there's, there's moments where we, we get off the battleship for a moment and we execute said mission and then we come back to the battleship. There's arming ourselves. The, 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 the whole mindset behind the ship is to be mission-minded, to be task-oriented, and it exists with a purpose outside of ourselves. Now, I'm no naval person. And I can't go into great detail about a battleship. But I can look at those, those pictures and go, if we're not careful, what the family of God often looks like is which one makes us feel more comfortable and which one puts, puts us out of our comfort zone. And we choose the cruise ship nine out of ten times. But I believe the picture that the Lord has for us is to be on the battleship. To strip aside the desires of your flesh and run after the desires of your new spirit. To seek Him. To be people who are mission-minded. To live in light of the Gospel. Because if the Gospel is just this salvific thing, then we should live on a cruise ship. Because it's just one and done. right? We're there. we got our fire insurance. We can do whatever we want to now. But if the salvation is this eternally changing thing that begins now, this when I say eternally changing, this thing that changes us eternally until we are with Him, then every moment this side of heaven, what are we doing? We're looking to destroy the enemy through the power of Christ and to let others know of the spiritual death that they are in. And so we're on the battleship constantly training. Is there fun on the battleship? I've never been on one, but I think so. Right? Is there moments where we're not always on mission? Sure. But the purpose of everything is to be prepared for the mission and then to be sent on the mission. So which one are you living on? The cruise ship... Or the battleship. Because the family of God has zero qualities that will align with those things that I mentioned about the cruise ship. I've never read anywhere in the Bible about Christianity and walking with Jesus being super comfortable. Most of my experience walking with Him has been a lot of discomfort with joy and peace. You get what I'm saying? Right? Like, there's this overarching thing of I, I am grounded, I am balanced, as whatever words we want to use, but daggum, this thing is hard. And that is the purpose of our life. And as family minded people, when we come in Christ, there is a way that we should function and focus with each other, and that is to love, support, love, and invest. To lift each other up. This past week at camp, I saw 
the most hilarious. Well, actually, I didn't see it firsthand. I'm getting the story from someone else, but I'm going to tell it better than they told it, Lord willing. So we, we, had, we, had a couple, we had a bunch of kids at camp, and we had these two brothers at camp in this moment. And one of the brothers, unbeknownst to the other one, got checked out a little early because he had to go somewhere. We had the inflatables in the gym because y'all know the weather this week was rough. And so we decided to, to kind of deflate the inflatable. Un, you know, we didn't necessarily announce to all the kids, hey, everybody's off the inflatable, but this one brother, as soon as he sees it deflating, you might want to check my sound here because I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to act it out like he did. My brother's on there! Oh my gosh! Get him off! Literally, people are holding him back, right? Jeremy is in a different part of the building. He hears ruckus. One of our other leaders is like, yeah, like, I think this guy's looking for his brother. You know, he's just super chill. Jeremy kind of like runs across. I wish I could have said, I'd pay money to see this. Jeremy dives into said deflated inflatable. And he's like fighting through this sucker. He's like, I'm going to get you. I'm coming, right? Come to find out, Kaylee kind of strolls in there because she hears all of the ruckus. And she goes, yeah, that kid checked out like an hour ago. <laughs> but I tell you that story to ask this question. What if we had that type of vigor, emotion, and energy about our brothers and sisters in Christ? When we saw them go in the wrong direction, when we saw them failing, shoot, when we want to just encourage them in whatever can we have the vigor of a seven-year-old who thinks their, their brother is being suffocated by an inflatable that is deflating? I mean, seriously, can we have that sort of energy to go, we'll never let them fail. We will do everything we can. You got to hold me back, homie, to, to not let this person do this. Can we have that sort of vigor because what Paul is going to go on to tell this church in Ephesus and you and me is that when you were bought with a price by the blood of Jesus, you weren't just saved from sin, you were saved for people. And so our identity in Christ is that we are a family. And families don't just let somebody go awry. We go after them with all we have. Like they're being suffocated by an inflatable. Can we do that, church? Can we be that people? This is where you can respond so I don't feel silly. You know what I mean? So, to close this morning, and the band's going to come up here in just a second when I pray. We've got to find our identity first and foremost in Christ. And once we... Our firm, our firm foundation is set in Him. He says that you're family. And so it begins with the in Christ peace. And so we've got the elements for the Lord's Supper in the back this morning. And so during this next song, as we pray for revival, as we, we usher in this next week, a, a, a youth group coming from Canton, Georgia, to come and serve on behalf of the kingdom, but also Piedmont in our city. Can we, as the people of God, go to the Lord's table and remember 
that all things are made possible by him and through him. So during the song, if you'll just slip back and grab the bread, and as the Scripture says, when you take it and eat it, remember the beating that he went through. Remember the sacrifice and the pain that he endured so that you could be his son, could be his daughter. That's why we take the bread. Then once you've taken the bread, take the juice. And maybe, maybe you do this as couples, as small groups, whatever you, see, whatever you deem fit in that moment. But you take the juice, and what the juice represents is the new covenant in Christ. That, that, that's why you've probably heard pastors say, hey, the table is only for believers. And that's not because we're trying to be ugly or exclude somebody who doesn't, who doesn't believe in Jesus, but it's because you can't remember something that you haven't already committed to. You haven't already professed faith in. And so when we drink from the juice, we're simply remembering that it isn't about our works. It isn't about the law that God had put before us to, as a checklist so that we could complete it because Jesus already did it. And so the new covenant that we receive in Him is simply this. We understand, we profess, we believe that it's outside of us and it's all about Him. So when we repent and acknowledge our sins and put our faith in Him, we are made new. We're made family. This will be our time as we sing about revival, as we welcome people in, we will go back to the table and seek His face for the next day, for the next moment, wherever you are. Let's go to the Lord's table together. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that this morning as we've unpacked just a few verses out of your inspired letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus. God, help us to, to own, to, to begin to see and believe what it means to be family in Christ. That we, we welcome others as you have welcomed us. That we, we love others and we pursue others like a seven-year-old pursues his brother. Help us to, to see and feel and own that you have chosen us. When we feel like the world hasn't chosen us, when, when it's cast us out and we, we, we feel like we've got nothing else in this world, the truth of the matter is we always have you. Help us to, to function in that, to hold on to that, to know that, to believe it, to see it as we remember the sacrifice that You paid through Your Son, God, I just ask that Your Spirit will move. Give us the strength to make it through this week as we scatter from this gathering. Help us to say the prayer earnestly that we'll begin to see Your church as the battleship rather than the cruise ship. It's all these things that I pray in the precious name of Jesus and God's people said. Let's stand up and sing at any time in the next six minutes of this song. You can make your way to the table.